Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, with my permanent guest, Cammie. Hey there, Cammie. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. We're trucking along. We're This will be February, I think. It's been uh, a pretty packed year so far for episodes. I've been really enjoying this. How are you doing? Super fantastic. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So if you're here for the first time, Mystery likes to grab uh, myths, stories, legends, anything you can think of, any topic uh, that you can fathom, then we'll we'll talk about it and give you a story in our own words, in our own ways. And we're revisiting a, a really good topic that <laughs> is, is probably going to produce uh, if my calculations are correct, another 998 more episodes because we're going <laughs> back to the 1001 Nights, otherwise known as the Arabian Nights. Now we've done two episodes, the Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, which was so good. And it was wild. I, I re-listened to it because it was when you and I still were recording on the Yeti, just you know, hovering around a desk, talking to each <laughs> other in person. So that was wild. And Sinbad as well, we, we covered that. So um, the, the, they're both two-parters because they end up sort of being a little longer. Uh, that's the nice thing. I mean, these stories are pretty old, and there's tons of great free sources out there on them. So it, it's really fun. So this will also, we're planning on this one being a two-parter as well. And we're going to be talking about Aladdin, uh, in which is a part of the 1001 Nights um, story. That's that's where it kind of originates. It's it's a little finicky, actually, when you get down to the, the history side. But we're going to get started. Um, so Cammie will, will give us a story, just like she did on the other episodes. And then I'm going to talk. So it's, it's, a, like it's a little different. I'm going to recap a little bit on what the 1001 Nights is, uh, the history of that. I'll try and keep it not as the, the same from the last two. But if you really love this stuff, uh, Sinbad was great as well. But Alibaba's story was super awesome. So if you want more immediately, please go check those out. But we'll have the, this Aladdin episode will hit first. And then part two, we'll finish the story and a little bit more of the history next week. But Cammie, please regale us with a tale of Aladdin. Sure. So I'm using the same book that I used for the other two, The Arabian Very Nights. Nice. She's showing it to the camera if you're yes. driving in your car. <laughs> Our hero is from a very humble home in the capital of a very wealthy province of China. His father could not afford an apprenticeship for, for his boy, so he set out to teach him his own trade. But Aladdin had no use for work. He upset his father so much that the man fell ill and died. His mother sold off her husband's shop and lived off of her sewing. Aladdin would rather spend his life roaming the streets with his friends than help his mother, so he did this for years until he was barely still a boy. That is, until one day, a magician saw him on the street and tricked him with charming words and coin into thinking he was the boy's long-lost uncle. He made a show of telling the boy's mother about plans he had for the child to become a merchant of the finest goods and even brought Aladdin clothing fitted, fitting this position. The next day, the magician told Aladdin he would take, care, or take him to the gardens that surrounded the city, and they set out to see the wonders. They arrived at the gardens, but only stopped to eat a quick bite before heading further out into the mountains. When they arrived at the place where the magician wanted to stop, he started a fire and blew perfume over it. This caused the very ground below them to shake and expose a large stone on the ground. Aladdin was urged to lift it by himself. He protested, but tried anyway. <clears throat> 
The stone lifted with very little effort, exposing a hole in the ground that would just fit a man through it. The magician instructed the boy to go directly into the cave and not touch anything except for a single lamp that rested in that place. Otherwise, death would be the consequence. He did say that as he left, he could pick any jewels off the trees that lined the passage out. He gave our hero a ring to aid him on his journey. Aladdin obeyed him. He found the lamp and dared not touch anything except for the jewels he loaded his pockets with on the way out and came back to the entrance with the lamp. But he was unable to exit the cave without help from someone. The magician told him to throw him the lamp and that he would then help him. But Aladdin refused because he did not trust that direction. The magician was so infuriated that he threw more perfume on the fire and said the words to close the stone over the cave entrance. The boy spent two days in the dark cave until he began to become uncomfortable. The ring the magician had given him as a form of protection was his only hope. So when Aladdin went to put his hands together in prayer, he rubbed the ring and the genie appeared. Aladdin thought he was surely seeing things, but when the genie asked what he could do for him, the boy asked if he could take him away from this place. As soon as the words left his lips, the genie disappeared and Aladdin was back at the gates of his city. He ran home and pleaded with his mother to give him food. She was so happy to see him alive that she agreed. The next morning, the boy was hungry again, but they were out of food. Aladdin decided to go sell the lamp, but his mother went to polish it so it would fetch a better sum, and a genie appeared and asked what her wish was. Aladdin spoke and said they wanted food. The genie produced a huge table of the biggest feast either had ever seen, all displayed upon dishes of pure silver. The two ate for days on what was given them and lived for years on the coin that the plates fetched. Aladdin had no use of the lamp for that entire time until a princess came to their city. At the sight of this woman, Aladdin was amazed by her beauty. He had never seen another woman that could compare. He was certainly not of the caliber of man who could sway a sultan into giving his daughter's hand in marriage, but that didn't stop him from trying. He pleaded with his mother to bring the gift of jewels he had managed to take from the cave and arranged it perfectly on a fine platter the genie had given them when he had asked for food so many years ago. His mother agreed, but was hesitant. She visited the sultan, and two weeks went by without her seeing him, until one day he took notice of her. She came to him and asked for his daughter to be married to her son and presented the jewels to the sultan. He agreed to the marriage, for this was the most valuable gift any suitor had yet to bring. His advisor whispered to him that he had already offered his daughter's hand to another boy, but the sultan only agreed to give the boy a chance to produce a finer gift within three months' time. Aladdin's mother returned to his son and gave him the good news. He was excited, and a week passed before the devastating news reached them. The princess would be married that evening to someone else. Aladdin was heartbroken, but he knew that the lamp would save him. Very cool. What's going to happen next? Yeah, so I, and I, I mentioned, especially with Alibaba, I, I didn't really look into the story, and so I, I kind of knew blips of aladdin and of course i know of the disney movie um which i haven't seen in a while though so my memory's a little hazy but it's interesting to see what um like stayed it's interesting to see what stayed uh in that film and what didn't and things like that but it's really cool to see to hear the story and and especially hear 
how it really resonates with the telling of the other stories. Now, I'll, I'll again, I mentioned I'm going to I'm going to give you a little reminder on the thousand and one nights history. And then and then I'll talk uh, about Aladdin specifically in the next episode. I'll talk some about some of the, the bigger themes of it. It's, it's really cool. We've also so one thing um, I guess I'll start with this, you know, the thousand and one nights uh that's what it's kind of formally known as from its Arabic name, A Thousand and One Nights. But then it was sort of called Arabian Nights uh, when it was translated. And there's really, there's a handful of sources that come at, at primary sources, but it's it's really interesting because this is really a, a huge collection, obviously, but uh, of tales from all over ancient worlds going into medieval periods. So it's set in the medieval period. That's that's 100% for sure. And that's sort of, that's the time when it was really, uh, they, someone said, let's write this stuff down. But much like a lot of older stories and epics and things like that, these are, these are stories that have been around orally or just known culturally for a very long time. And they were just kind of compiled uh, over time. Because they, uh, Aladdin is really interesting because it it's supposed to take in China, but it's it's not, implicitly said I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more later but mainly i mean you've got stories from uh persia with modern day iran india is a huge source of a lot of the stories even even greece um you know uh if, if you don't know kind of ancient and classical history so much when uh muslims continually took over africa they they took over alexandria and really famous greek areas and they absorbed a lot of that culture too. And that that's really evident in stories, especially like Aladdin, the ancient history that's imbued in those stories. And it was uh, sort of roughly here from some of my old notes. Um, we do have uh, ideas that around nine, around the ninth and 10th century, there was, uh, there's evidence of a discussion um, from uh, these popular uh, rulers began collecting uh, the, these thousand tales. Um, this one guy in specific, um, uh, Abu Abd Allah Ibn. Did I say that right? I probably didn't. Uh, Abdus al-Jashiari began a collection of a thousand popular Arabic, Iranian, Greek, and other tales, but he died when only 480 were written. There we go. That was a mouthful. So... Um, one interesting, though, thing, so even though these tales were sort of collected and known, uh, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that these weren't really treasured in West or in Asian and West Asian and Arabic culture. Uh, like fi fiction had a low cultural status, especially during the medieval period. Um, now, this was a time where we were getting uh, great advances in science and mathematics and things like that in uh, throughout Asia. And these stories were dismissed as what uh, Wikipedia uses the word karafa, which they, they denote is improbable fantasies fit only for entertaining women and children. So I, I kind of get that. Um, but some of these stories are pretty big. Yeah, only it. women and children like fiction. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Psh, posh. And um, but it's it's noted. I mean, a lot of these are, are definitely inspired by old epics like the Odyssey and things like that. And so where it really kind of came from was uh this french dude antoine galland in the 1700s a french dude um he uh acquired these stories and and he kind of created the first translation of the 1001 nights and he specifically got aladdin from a syrian storyteller 
because uh, Aladdin is known as one of the orphan tales is what they're called. Along with the famous uh, Sinbad, it was not in the original collection. It got added when the West got involved. So it, it, if you kind of had like, again, these stories weren't exactly famous in, in Arabic speaking countries. They were known sort of all around. Some of them were known. I mean, it, it's really kind of hard to say where they would have been localized, but that's one thing that once once the stories kind of got out, they did get kind of smushed together and packed and then moved out. And that's that's the interesting thing about the the Aladdin part is it seems like that was sort of added by Antoine Galland when he did this. And it's not impossible, um, especially if we think of like like Mongolia territory, you know, like um, sort of the, the middle places in between China and Russia, you do have some of these terrains, but they, they even like they mention the word Sultan, they don't mention anything that that really firmly ties this in as uh, to China. But we have like paintings from the 1800s that depict the story. Um, much, you know, there's tons of depictions of the 1001 done by by Western artists. And and for like Latin, it's it's a very, um, and actually there's the, the Sultan's daughter is wearing a dress that looks just like the one Mulan wore, like at the beginning of Mulan. I was just seeing this on Britannica's article. They had this old uh, painting and it was this blue that, that she had in the animated film. So uh, maybe, it, you know, that was an homage to that. But um, either way, Aladdin is still one of the most popular it's totally gone and and blown up since then and is uh i mean it's it's probably the most famous despite not even being one of sort of the original 1001 uh stories um one last thing about sort of the history is when it was uh the the the, the framing it's like a story within a story the stories are also called Shahrazade which it denotes that the stories are sort of the reason why there's a thousand and one of them is because there's this evil Sultan dude who you know, fictionally who is uh, he, he, he finds out his, his wife cheated on him. So he's like, every day I'll marry someone and I'll kill them before the day ends. So that way I don't have to be cheated on. And he gets to this one woman and that's her name. And that um, Shahrazad comes from old, a middle Persian name called uh, a which was then kind of, pronounced Shahrazade, which was also the German sort of. So we're kind of rolling through several languages here. But um, the Shahrazade bit is is it's kind of cool. We And we talked about more on Alibaba. Shahrazade is basically stalling. So she's like, no, don't kill me. She, she marries Sultan. No, don't kill me. I'm going to tell you a story. And she just basically keeps it going. And yay, the Sultan ends up falling in love with her and stops killing people. Uh, that's that's that kind of in a nutshell. It's really it's a cool framework for the stories. And again, like a story within a story. So she's telling the Sultan like about Aladdin, about Sinbad, about Alibaba and so on. So I, I really uh, like that. That's the, that's the framework. But that also kind of came a little bit later. But back on Aladdin, um, again, yeah, one of the most popular it's definitely inspired by by several things, but it, it's really uh, it's really a, 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 an the, the Arabic folklore is really planted in it. So we have the genie, which is comes we get that from jinn, which the best way to translate it is demon. Um, although you know in in the West we use the word demon, and it's almost always very evil. Jinn can kind of be sp spooky; they can be bad, like. It's they don't have to be like super evil murderous, but they they have a long history in there, and they can be bound to things, and that really started in medieval uh, uh, Arabic countries where you you bind 
a, a genie to something like a lamp, which was a very common thing to have at this time. Um, also, uh, Aladdin's ring that he has that protects him having a genie. That the, these are that's that's what gives it the magical properties. Um, it's actually really cool. The jinn uh, I found that's they're they're referenced in the Quran. So they have they have a very deep meaning in it and it, it just it reminds me of like talking about um like banshees in irish culture you know like you've got the banshee in your house in ireland it's it's the house banshee it's like oh that 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 creaking that's the banshee what are you gonna do that screaming that we hear in the distance what are you gonna do um one uh big inspiration though for that that maybe there's a story called the the magic lamp um this is a south Asian variant um, from the Santal people of India and Bangladesh. So there's an idea that, again, and this really helps give us the picture of 1001 Nights and its multiculturalism. This story could have sort of flown through from India during um, Islamic conquests into India, and it could have been lifted through there. Um, so I, I I don't know. We, we don't really have much evidence of, of how old the specific story of Aladdin is, but it's clear that because uh, we, we have references of um, enchanted lamps and rings dating back to, to literally biblical 10th century texts um, through King Solomon, um, and who you know the son of David, king of Israel. So there's a really rich history there. And Aladdin, uh, probably older than what it is, probably wasn't called Aladdin the entire time and, and likely came from what we call India now. Um, but it's a really cool mix, and and it looks like it really kind of got this form in the medieval period, and then was lifted into the 1700s when uh, French dude imported it, and then started making bank on uh, selling this stuff. So, yeah, that's that's where I'll leave it for now. We've got more to talk about. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, more on the magic lamp, more on. Um, we're also going to mention the magic carpet, which I'm going to mention that, which isn't actually part of the original story, but is a big deal in the other one, but that, that is, is really closely tied in what we've got here as well. Um, I'll also, I'm going to put it in the links for this show. The project Gutenberg has a 1914 edition of Arabian nights, um, that I found. I didn't catch this before. Um, it was done by not Dr. Jonathan Scott. Yeah. So it, it's based off of Antoine Gallon's 1704, um, book, which he discovered a 16th century transcript in Egypt. So, it's kind of wild. A hundred, you know, a transcript that was from a hundred years before Antoine Gallon, he gets it, he translated it, and then a hundred years later, it's it's floating through all of Europe, and then by 1914, it's being printed in America and widely available. And it is extremely, extremely important. I'll, I'll mention um, H.P. Lovecraft. I remember we we looked at him a little bit. I've I've looked at him a little bit. He got a copy of that, and that that's one of the books he credits is really uh, helping him skyrocket his writings and stuff like that. So, uh, really, really influential piece uh, of writing and the book, the stories are, are pretty interesting. So I'll put the Gutenberg um, link in the description. If you want to check them out, the whole stories are there, Aladdin and everything. Don't read ahead though. Until next <laughs> week. So Cammy, does that cover it for now? For Aladdin? Sure. I do want to mention that we are teaming up with popular opinion, YouTube and Brian, yes. I guess you can put a link at the bottom yeah, to absolutely. Some of our episodes, but we are doing basically the same thing we're doing here. But we take the myth uh, Funko Pops and we do the episode based on these pops. So the first one was Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that one's already up. And then we should have a couple up, you know, in a, in a couple weeks when you, when you're actually yeah, watching Yeah. Yeah. Fun little extra thing. We doing what we do here with um, Cody. He does a great job on his show, which is pop themed. And it's just a fun way for us to do what we've been doing and kind of get the word out a little bit more. So please check him out. I'll put, I will put a link um, in the description and, and feel free. Facebook's a great way to get in touch with us. We are on Twitter as well. Uh, Instagram, all that fun stuff. So if you have any questions or comments, you can reach to us out there or mystery. It's all one word with an IE at the end at gmail.com is another great way too. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Brian. Oh. Oh.